please. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 17 to 21. Philippians 3, 17, 21. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk as so as ye have us for an example. For many work walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working where he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you might open up the scriptures to us. Teach us, we pray. Instruct us that we may be able to learn some of the glorious things that are there in your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. Verse 17. Brethren, be followers together. Now, those of you who were present last time I preached, which was two weeks ago, right? Remember, I spoke about the need to be of the same mind, to have the same focus, to have the same concept, to be going, this is where we're going. Well, if you've got the same mind, you should be walking the same way. That's, you know, when you think about it, that's really pretty sort of basic, isn't it? Because you can't walk the same way unless you have the same mind, unless you're thinking the same way. So this start of, of verse 17, brethren be followers together of me, looks us, points us back actually to verse 16, which says, Nevertheless, whereunto we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing, being followers together. You see, it just works, flows straight through. If you mind the same things, if you walk by the same rule, you will be followers together. <coughs> and it's, it's really interesting where it says, it says here, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them. Mark them. That... And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Mark them. You know what word that, that word mark? Scopos. It's where we get telescope and microscope from. Ooh. To look at. He says, look at these people which walk the right way. Look at them. Now, in fact, the, the uh, young people, and you know, anybody who's under 40, you're young, according to me. <laughs> if you say to them, hey, scope this out. You know what I mean? 
If I say that to somebody, scope this out. If you said that in Greek, in Philippi, they would have known exactly what you meant. Right? To scope, to look at, to observe. So when you, when you say this, you know, you've got something interesting on your phone and you, you say to someone, hey, bro, scope this. You're actually talking Greek. Uh, and it's exactly the same thing. Look at this. Focus your attention on this. And he's saying, focus your attention on these people who walk as an example. Now, I know we are always to have the Lord Jesus Christ as our example. But here, Paul is saying, you know, there are going to be people you will see, godly people. And he said, mark them, look at them, observe them, and you might learn a bit by looking at them and their lives. I can think of two or three ministers, uh, godly people, who have been a tremendous influence on me. Some of them you people would know, some you've never heard of. But they were people that I could look at and go, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be like that. I'd, I'd, I'd like to, to, to <laughs> some of them would be, I'd like to preach like that. Uh, but some, yeah, you know, I said, I'd, I'd like to live like that. They were examples to, to us, to me. And Paul is saying, mark people like this. Those who walk the right way, because, of course, they have the right mind. They're thinking about the right things. But then he says, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So in verse 17, we had Paul's walk. If you make getting making notes and things. Now in verse 18, we have the perverted walk. Because these are they who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. These people walk as enemies of the gospel and Paul weeps for them. Isn't that interesting? Paul weeps for them. He's not angry at them. He's not bitter at them. He doesn't, you know, wish, uh, you know, uh, fire and brimstone and all that sort of stuff. No, he weeps for them. If people oppose the gospel, don't be angry. Be sorry. Be sad. Because Paul wept for these people because he knew what was coming. Look over in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 verse 41. It's Jesus. He's up on the Mount of Olives and he's looking out over Jerusalem. So he's on the Mount of Olives and I've been up on the Mount of Olives and you get this beautiful view out over Jerusalem. And what happens? 
And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. He wept over the city where in a week's time they were going to crucify him. Was he angry? No. He was sad. He was heartbroken over them. What, what did he, he say there? We find it in verse, in um, Matthew 23, verse 37. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. He wept over a disobedient, rebellious city. Should we not also weep over disobedient and rebellious souls? Now we should be in mourning for these people. I tell you now, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Why? Because they are onto, they are headed for an eternity without hope. Why does Paul weep over these things? Why does Paul weep over them? Perhaps he had, perhaps he had an inkling of what was coming. In the book of Revelation, chapter twenty, verse eleven, it says. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose faith, face he, earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Brethren, that should make you weep for the unsaved. For those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Because we know what their fate is. Those people who oppose the gospel and refuse to listen. And will not take regard. They deserve our pity. Not our anger. We need to be sorrowful and sorry for them. Because their fate is an eternity without hope and without God. We have had Paul's walk. We've had the perverted walk. I want you to look at the progression, progressive walk. The progressive walk. You wonder, how does someone come to be an enemy of God? What, what, what makes that happen? And so Paul explains it here. And he says that these are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And in verse 19 he said, their end is 
destruction. But why is there end destruction? Now we've seen that God will judge and judge righteously and that those who are not found in the book of life will be cast into an eternal torment. But why? What puts people into that position? Well, the first thing it says there, their end is destruction, whose God is their belly. <coughs> whose God is their belly. Everybody worships something. Don't care how much of an atheist you are, you worship something. Everybody worships something. Now, in the Greek philosophy at this time, the two, there were two main groups. Okay? They were called the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, if you know your language work, you can probably work out who's who. We know what the idea of being Stoic is. You know, not showing any emotion, not, sto not showing any feelings. That's Stoicism. Epicurean, well, you know, any foodie will tell you what an Epicurean is. Right? But these schools of philosophy, the Epicureans in one way, were they were a bit like the world's first hippies. Right? Straight out of the 60s, if it feels good, do it. That was the Epicurean way of thinking. And it's easy enough to see how these people worship a God that was their belly. If it gives you pleasure, then do it. No regard to consequences. No regard to the future. If it's pleasurable, do it. And this attitude is pervasive throughout all of society to right now. If it feels good, do it. Enjoy yourself. Eat, drink and be merry. But the Stoics, they virtually said if it feels good, don't do it. If it gives you pleasure, deny it. Now you, you, you say, well, no, are there people like, oh yeah, there are people like that around today. Ascetics. You know, you see them not so much in the West, but you see a lot of them in the Eastern religions. People who will uh, deliberately go without food or drink or clothing or caring for themselves saying that it purifies their soul. It doesn't. But they're still worshipping something else. They're still worshipping the idea of uh, a purity of, of nothingness. Right? So oh, what about people then who, who say they're atheists? Well, I can, I can tell you who they, what they worship. They worship humanity. They say, there is no God but humanity and Dawkins is his prophet. 
That's the, that's that's their mantra, right? They they worship the god of human wisdom. And I look around the world and I say and I think to myself, you worship the god of human wisdom. I don't see a lot of it. I see an awful lot of human stupidity, but I don't really see much human wisdom. And thank you very much. If it's going to be something I'll worship, human stupidity is not going to be one of them. But everybody worships something. So what are you going to worship? You can worship the God that's in your belly. Or you can worship the God that's in heaven. How do you tell what someone's worshipping? You ever wonder how you tell what someone's worshipping? I'll give you a way to tell. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verse 21. It says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now most people get this thing backwards. Most people think, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. But that's not what Matthew says. Matthew says, (coughs) where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I'm going to give you an earthly, worldly example of this that explains it pretty well. Many years ago, I dabbled in a little bit of stocks and shares trading. Okay? I never had that much of it, but just a little bit, and enough to make it interesting and to check you know, what was happening. And so, I, one of the things I'd watch with great fascination was the share market report at the end of the news. Right? And occasionally they would mention a company that I bought shares in. I go, oh wow, what's happening? I was excited. I was interested. My heart was involved. Why? Because my money was. <laughs> where my treasure was, that's where my heart was. Other companies would come up and I go, I don't care. If they fail, they fail. If they go bust, they go bust. It's not my problem because I didn't have anything invested in them. You see? Now that's the, that's the earthly example of what Matthew says. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. If your treasure is on earth, then your heart will be on earth. If your treasure is in heaven, then your heart will be in heaven. And you will mine heavenly things. If your treasure is on earth, your heart will be on earth, And your concentration, your focus will be on the things of the world. This is why there is a danger 
that the Bible repeatedly says for people who are wealthy. It's not that wealth in itself is a bad thing. Or a, no, the Bible is, is studded with characters who were wealthy and godly. But they didn't count earthly wealth as where their true treasure was. Their true treasure was in heaven. And that's where their heart was. It's, a, it's such a dangerous thing to be focused on earth. Now, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Verse 17. Now, it wasn't just in Philippi they had a problem with this. Don't look at this. is in the church at Rome. Verse 17 of Romans 16, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and, and offences contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them. You want to guess what that word is? Yeah. Scope them out. Mark them. For they, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, their own pleasure, their own passion. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Where then? Is these people's hearts? These people's hearts are on earth. Their God is their belly and whose glory is their shame. Hmm. Their glory is in their shame. Instead of being ashamed of this attitude, they boast about it. Instead of saying, really, I, I shouldn't be living like this, they say, why not? Enjoy. I'm going to live the way I want to. Really? They say they are free from constraint and rules, but in reality, they are slaves. Because their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. You know, society has rules about certain things. Our bosses up in Canberra put rules about certain things. And they say, these things you can do, these things you can't do. And there seems to be a constant pressure all the time to wind back the rules. Less rules. We don't want none of your rules. We'll do things what we want. <coughs> they say they are free, but they are not. They are actually slaves. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Paul says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. You want to tell, you want to be a way to tell who's the boss in a work situation? Watch the one given the orders and the people who are doing what they're told. He's the boss and they're the servants. It works that way. Any workplace, there's a supervisor, there's a foreman, there's somebody who's giving orders and other people who obey them. It's the base, you can't run a, 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 any sort of organisation any other way. Someone's got to give orders and someone's got to do them. And whoever gives the orders, or rather whoever you obey, he's your boss or she is your boss. That's what Paul's saying. Don't you, under, don't you understand that who you obey, who you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are. Now, you think this is... This is pretty sort of obvious. Paul goes on and says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from a heart that form of doctrine which was delivered, delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now, okay, he's, Paul's now saying, You got saved. Now you obey righteousness and you are the servant of righteousness. You used to be the servant of sin. Now you're the servant of righteousness. In fact, he, in verse 19, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm having to use a human earthly example because you people are too thick to understand anything else. Right? And it's pretty tough commentary on the people at Rome in Rome. But Paul's saying, you guys just don't get it. You don't understand. So I'm, I'm giving you a human example. You're a servant of the person you obey. You change masters, you obey someone else, and you're their servant. Right? And, and this is the situation. These people were back in Philippians again. These people say, I'm free. I'm, I'm not a servant. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I want. And in fact, they are the servants of sin. I remember... A, a great little cartoon that I saw and it was drawn by a, a, an Aboriginal guy right? and he used to draw little Christian cartoons and the interesting thing was all the characters in them were Aboriginal you could clearly tell because that's who he was that's who he drew and it was it was intriguing to see this and it's a picture of one guy is standing there holding his Bible 
and he's looking at someone else and the other person is chained down with cigarettes and drugs and alcohol and he's saying, be free like me. And the guy with the Bible is looking at him and going, you're not free at all. You say you are. You say you're doing what you want, but you're not. You're enslaved by your lusts and the things of this world. There comes a certain stage, and having talked to a number of people who have been addicts, there's a certain terrible crunch time. Because you know what they all say to themselves when they start? I can quit any time. So does every alcoholic. They all say, I can quit any time. And then one day they realise they can't. Why? Because they're enslaved. They've become the servants of unrighteousness. They thought they were free. I'm free to take this. I'm free to do what I want. No, you're not. You keep doing it, you will become enslaved by it. The progressive downward walk. Their end is destruction because their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. But where does it start? Who mind earthly things. There it is. The end of verse 19. Who mind earthly things. Remember, we talked, the, the, the whole part, focus in that section in Philippians was let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus who being the form of God took upon the form of a servant let this mind the servant mind but no their mind is on earthly things they mind earthly things. You cannot mind both earthly things and heavenly things. Matthew said, no man can serve two masters. Did you know that Matthew is the only gospel that records that, that saying? That saying of the Lord Jesus? Matthew is the only guy who records it. That no man can serve two masters. You ever wonder why Matthew wrote that down? Of all the people who were recording it? I think it's because Matthew knew what it was to serve a master. See, Matthew was a tax collector. His family name was Levi. His name, as we would say in today's world, was Matthew Levi. What job should he have had? He should have been a priest in the temple. He should have been sold out to God. Instead, he was sold out to Rome. He should have been sold out for glory. Instead, he was sold out for Roman gold. 
One day, the Lord Jesus called him. And he got up and walked away from it all. Just left it. He was sold out a second time. This time to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote these words down when Jesus said them that no man can serve two masters. You'll either serve the world or you'll serve God. You can't serve both. And these people in Philippians, it all starts with the fact that they mind earthly things. That is why they glory in their shame. That is why their God is their belly. And that is why their end is destruction. It all starts with minding earthly things. They have no time for God. And one day, God will give them what they want. An eternity without Him. You don't want to retain God? You don't want to keep God in your mind? Fine. God will one day remove himself from your presence. Forever. Verse 20. There's a change. We've seen Paul's walk. We've seen the perverted walk. We've seen the progressive walk. Now we're going to see the paradise walk. For our conversation is in heaven. Oh, there's a contrast. These people mind earthly things. But us, our conversation, it's a funny word to use there, our conversation. What's, our, what's a conversation? Now we normally think of a conversation as two people. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. You can have a group of people having a conversation. And this is the idea that, that, that Paul has got with this word conversation here. Uh, us, the group, we gather and we talk and we behave and we focus on things in heaven. Not things on earth. Our focus is on heaven. That, that by extension, a, a community which starts, which, which has its focus in heaven, not on the earth. Look back up, pardon, earlier to Philippians chapter 1. <coughs> Verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Ah, this is your, your community, your way you focus, the way you look. Be that which becomes or is suitable for the gospel of Christ. For our conversation is in heaven. Interestingly, how many times do you reckon the word conversation is used in, in the New Testament? No? Three. And two of them are in Philippians. Two of them are right here. Where he's saying, 
This is where your focus should be. On things in heaven. Not on things of the earth. Now there's a saying. You know, and, and the more I think about it, the more annoyed I get with it. You ever heard the saying that some people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly use? You know something? It's rubbish. Rubbish. I have never met a heavenly minded person who was not extremely useful on earth. You get a person, what does it mean to be heavenly minded? Well, let's think. What, what are the two great commandments? To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and thy neighbour as thyself. That's being heavenly minded. And it makes you a great deal of earthly use. To be truly heavenly minded is to be incredibly valuable here on earth. Because apart from anything else, your focus will be on winning souls away from an eternity without God. We look, why is that conversation in, in heaven? Because we look there for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yeah. You know, it may be a function of getting old. Probably is, but I am looking forward to leaving this earth. I am looking forward to saying, Lord, I'm done. Hopefully it'll be a case that the Lord will say, Alan, you're done. You guys, time. Uh, I wonder, I always wondered if, if in, in England the, the, uh, the call from heaven will be, Time, gentlemen, please. <laughs> For those of you who know English culture, that's, you know, that's it. Time's done. Come on up. We're ready. We look to heaven for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because there's a change coming. You know, we... In, in especially in Victoria or in Australia, don't we look for the cool change? Don't we long for it? It's hot and it's humid and it's sticky, or the sun's beating down, and we hear the news the changes come through Portland and is heading for Melbourne, and we go, Yes, couple of hours, it'll be here. The change is coming says in verse 21, Who shall change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body? There's a glorious change coming. Glorious. And it's coming to us. And our body will be changed. But you know something else is going to be changed? We're going to lose this old sin nature too. That's going to be glorious. The struggles will be over and will be with the Lord Jesus. It's interesting. According to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. The working. Uh, one, one last Greek word for it. Energia. It's where we get energy from. That word energy. Whereby, 
according to the energy whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. He will subdue all things to himself, including those who are the enemy of the cross of Christ. He will subdue all things. He will change us both physically and, and spiritually into a glorious new creation. The moment he's waiting. You know, Jesus is waiting. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 is quoting Psalm 110 verse 1 where the father says to the son, sit here till I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's what he's saying. The father is saying to the son, sit, rest, relax. It's all under control and in a moment your enemies, those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ will be under your feet. They will literally be, you'll be resting your heels on them, your footstool. No, they would, they would actually do that in, in, uh, in ancient cultures. When they conquered a kingdom, they would bring in the king and they would make him kneel, hands and knees, in front of the, the throne of the people he had, who had conquered him, and they would lift up and they would put their feet on him. This wasn't just a figurative expression. You literally made your enemies your footstool, so they knew that they'd been totally, utterly conquered. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. The paradise walk is coming for us. The question is now, what walk are you on? Are you looking for the paradise walk as the Lord Jesus Christ returns? Are you walking, as Paul says, mark those around you who are good Christian people and follow their example? Or are you on the perverted walk, the downward walk? Is your God your belly? Has it come about because you have minded earthly things for so long that now they've trapped you and kept you there? And as a result, you've become an enemy of the cross of Christ. Because you can't be both a friend of the world and a friend of God. It doesn't work that way. What life, what walk are you on? Where are you walking? Think about it. There's, there's those, that, that little flashing man. You know the, guy, the, the ones at the pedestrian crossings? You know what they say? Walk. Don't walk. Which are you going to do? Which walk are you going to have? Are you going to walk according to... To the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to receive him as your saviour? If you haven't already, how are you going to do that? Or are you going to continue to walk and mind earthly things and continue to have your God as your, your belly as your God? What's it going to be? Paul puts here very clearly, there is only two walks. 
There is a walk to heaven and there is a walk to hell. There are no other choices. What do we do? Well, I tell you now, even weeping, that to be an enemy of the cross of Christ is a recipe for disaster, both now and for all eternity. What you walk. How are you walking? Do you mind earthly things or is your conversation in heaven? Today, if you've been walking according to the God of this world, if you've been taken captive by the snare of the devil, and if you have been part of the enemies of the cross of Christ, if you have been minding earthly things, Today is the day to change. Today is the day to be headed on the paradise walk. If you need to talk to someone about this, if you need to change the way you're walking, you come and talk to us. Talk to me. Remember those examples we talked about? The people you see and you go, I'd like to be like that. Well, go and talk to one of them and say, I want to be a Christian. And I want to turn my life from being an enemy of Christ to being waiting for him expectantly on a road to paradise. Walk, don't walk. How's your walk these days? Just remember, 